Our guest today, Renee Thompson, characterizes herself as a nurse of 27 years, an entrepreneur, an author, a keynote speaker, consultant, and kindness enthusiast. We love that part. In January 2018, she transitioned her company named Renee Thompson to the Healthy Workforce Institute that offers a cadre of services provided by what she calls an amazing team of experts. Uh, Renee grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She's the mother of two daughters. Her husband, Ashley, is Healthy Workforce Institute's vice president and chief financial officer. And together, Renee and Ashley have built this company along with them building a life together. Last November, this past November, we met Renee outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where she was the keynote speaker for the fall conference of the Southeastern Pennsylvania Organization of Nurse Leaders. Renee is delightful, accessible, and engaging, and she's much sought after as a speaker. She's passionate, she's insightful, and we know that you're going to enjoy hearing her today. And we, Tom has a story uh, for us as, as we begin this interview. Renee had us at hello. She came out into the lobby and we introduced ourselves and she introduced herself and, and she had just seen something on our website about our affiliation with Fred Rogers and our uh, appreciation for Fred and his work and his writing and his speaking and his, of course his television program. And she shared a story with us that we appreciated that we thought all of you would enjoy today that Fred has often, people have often asked us, was Fred who Fred appeared to be on camera? So when, when Fred was off camera, was he the same person that we all saw and, and loved on, on camera? And the answer is yes. According to Renee, she tells the story that she was serving as a nurse on a floor in one of the hospitals in Pittsburgh early in her career. And Fred was at the hospital visiting somebody that day on her floor. And he went around and engaged with each and every nurse on the floor just reminding each and every one of them that they are valued and that they are of sacred worth and that their, their work is essential. And so Fred was who Fred appeared to be. And so we, we thought that was a nice way to begin today's interview. Well, we welcome you, Renee, to the Someone to Tell To podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, how are you? I'm uh, really excited to be on the call today. Well, we're all doing well. This is our first time the three of us, Clark being on the call as well, we're all social practicing social distancing, so we're not together face to face. Mm -hmm. So we're going to see how this goes. Uh, for those of you who are listening, we can't promise that you won't hear kids in the background or uh, motorcycles. It's a beautiful day here in central Pennsylvania. So uh, no promises there. <laughs> Lawnmowers outside. We've been hearing a lot of those today. Such a beautiful day. Wow. People are out. Well, especially when it's this time of year, any glimpse of a nice day, because I was uh, from Pennsylvania, I now live in Tampa, Florida. But, you know, when the sun's out and it's, you know, uh, greater than 50 degrees, everybody's out of their house. Exactly. And that's yesterday was like that here. And, and, and today, today is as well. So, yeah. But we're so thrilled to have you with us. And we know that your message is extremely important, always, but especially now. 
And when, when people need to hear something about positivity and how to treat one another <laughs> with kindness mm-hmm. and uh, respect and intention, uh, you, you are a perfect person to help bring that message. Oh, thank you. And um, as you know, we're seeing right now the best in people and the worst. And it's, you know, I, I've been um, sharing this, you know, message of, you know, optimism and hope and um, positivity with people, but not in the sense that, you know, stick your head in the sand and just say, no, everything will be fine. Everything is great because um, it's also about having frank but yet carrying conversations with people. And it's even saying things like, look, I understand that you're really stressed right now, that you're frustrated and and that you're angry. I get that, but it's not okay to be mean. It's not okay to be cruel. Like there's no justification for cruelty, even in the middle of a crisis like this. And how do we just remind people to always engage in conversations with people with this grounded sense of I care about you as a human being and we're going through a tough time right now but we're going to do this together and again be be able to call each other on it like whoa whoa like you're really you know (laughs) getting you know you're going down that mean path right now I you know what can I do to pull you back because you need to okay especially you know my audience is healthcare. You know, everybody else is quarantined at home and I'm overgeneralizing. Well, they're they're asked to leave the safety of their home and kind of run into the combat zone. So it's it's about supporting them right now more than ever. Well, Renee, we know you've been in the midst of this um, series that you've been doing, 30 Days of Kindness, Coping and Caring for Leaders. And you've been putting out these one minute videos, which we've enjoyed each and every one of them. Oh, good. Yeah. What what was today's message? Um, Today, um, we ended up, I think today's message was about, um, let me see, because I have the- Michael Hyatt, or was that yesterday's? Oh, that was the, no, that was Michael Hyatt's today. Yes. Yesterday's was a a little bit, it was a broader audience. I really wanted to look at the, not only the, you know, the leaders, but the um, employees too, and about just- you know, showing each other that you care. Um, But today was uh, from Michael Hyatt. I just picked up his brand new book and it's, um, I'm looking at it right now. It's the vision driven leader. And it's really how to um, have a vision of the the type of uh, life you want to have and the, whatever you're doing in in your career, um, the department, the the work that you want to have. And, you know, I've been reading a lot about this right now And we've always heard this. There's a difference between being a manager and being a leader. And the manager really focuses on the the management of the daily tasks and the administrative work. But the leader is the one who's also stepping up to inspire and motivate their teams. And right now with this crisis, it's so easy for the leader in that department to focus only on the tasks and the administration of everything. But it was a reminder for them to also lead their teams because they need leadership now more than ever. How does a leader do that when, you know, there, there is this immediacy and fear and anxiety that, that it causes a person to sometimes just simply focus on what's here right now? to get through this moment, this, this hour, this day. So how, how does a leader make that leap to not only seeing what's going on right now and understanding and living in that, but also looking forward? 
Yeah, um, it's a, a great question and it's um, not any one thing. It's um, several things that, that they need to do. And one of them is, and, and I, I just did uh, a live uh, Q&A call. I have an online program and um, we uh, get together. It's for my eradicating bullying and civility. So it's really designed for the, the frontline leaders. It gives them the essential tools that they need to address disruptive behaviors and you know hold their people accountable. Um, and so our call today was exactly answering your question. Um, and it started with me getting on calls with a lot of different leaders over the last couple of weeks and finding out how they were being challenged in ways that they weren't challenged before. And there were several themes that came up, you know, worrying about, you know, what if you have to lay somebody off or you're closing your department? You know, when you, we look at the acute care centers right now, you know, they're, you know, especially if you've got COVID patients, you're, you need more staff, but what about the ambulatory care centers and the surgery centers? They're laying people off or asking people to take PTO time. And, you know, how do you keep your staff calm and overcome their fears and deal with the negativity and keep them focused and engaged and also dealing with all this information overload? So there's just a lot of challenges leaders are facing now that they didn't face before. And we talked today about a couple of things that leaders can do now to address some of these challenges. And the first thing we talked about was don't make promises you can't keep. You know, many leaders, they want to reassure people that everything will be okay, but you don't know that. And so I had a leader share with me that she told her staff a couple of weeks ago, it was a surgical center. And she said, don't worry, we're going to stay open. You know, our patients need us. Nobody will be asked to take, you know, vacation time or PTO time. And then the next day, she had to come back to her staff and say, I'm sorry, but we're closing. Oh, my gosh. That, I felt so bad for her because she called me. I'm like, what do I do? And it just taught me, you know, as a leader, we want to make these promises to reassure our team. But don't make promises you can't keep. Um, the second thing that we're finding with all this information overload, the leaders are telling me they will share information with their teams. So like in a morning huddle, they'll say, okay, this is how we're handling X, Y, and Z. And then an hour later, they come back and say, scratch that, we're doing this instead. So it's basically letting your people know that things are going to change as they get new information, but that they need to trust that their administrative team is making the very best decisions based on the information that they currently have that's going to keep their patients and their employees safe, that they need to trust that. Um, I mentioned about being frank with people, but still showing them that you, you care. Uh, they're, as you can imagine, even though healthcare right now, everybody in healthcare is being identified and put on a pedestal as heroes, and they truly are. I'm telling you, though, there's a lot of badness out there. So many leaders have shared with me that there's an increase in, there's an uptick in bullying and incivility, mostly incivility, um, where there's nitpicking, this pettiness, this arguing over really stupid things. So I've shared with the leaders, I said, be frank, but 
but show that you care. So somebody's getting really nitpicky about, well, how come he got to work his schedule and I had to change mine? Or how come we have to pay for parking when you asked us to come in? We should get you know, free parking. Oh my gosh, on and on and on. I said, say this, look, we see the best in people and the worst in people. Today, I need you to be your very best and neither you nor I have any extra energy to spend on pettiness, nitpicking, and complaining, okay? And can I count on you to be your very best? Because these patients today, we need you to be your very best. Like, address it. But then inspire them to be better. It's like you have to remind them. Because I'm sure you can imagine people with their stress response, they're just reactive and they're scared so they're acting out you have to remind them that it's not okay because they're affecting people and I mentioned this earlier you know you can be frustrated you can't be cruel and then as a leader you need to lead your teams and show people that you care and that's what they want you know this is a time to build relationships with your team and be the leader they need you to be so that's just some things that we talked about. And I, I hope that answered your questions probably more than you wanted to hear. <laughs> no, that's just so important to, you know, to, to understand how do we help to inspire people to model behavior and reactions that, that will help people be their very best so that we're not seeing the worst in them, but the best in them. We, um, just heard a story yesterday of a friend of ours that uh, was had to go to um, what well, was a Walmart yesterday, and what the Walmart is now only allowing a certain number of people in the door at a time. So people had to wait outside; they had to queue up, and you know they were let in as other people were coming out in order so that people could keep social you know, distancing, physical distancing, and, and so that you know, there, there, there was less, it was minimizing danger. Well, a man of Asian descent got in line and the crowd turned on him. And they started, they attacked him, literally. Wow. Him. We had a friend who witnessed this and, and jumped him, knocked him to the ground and were beating on oh, him no. and telling him to go back to China where he came from. And he was, ye- and he was yelling, I'm Vietnamese. I'm oh, not that's Chinese. Horrible. I'm Vietnamese. And that is oh my God. <laughs> the exact opposite of the best of us. That is some of the wor- that is some of the worst behavior. That those kinds of things happen. Yeah. And, you know, how do we, yeah, that's the whole yeah. point. Of how do we re- inspire wherever, whoever we are, wherever we are, uh, inspire people not to treat one another that way. Right. I mean, the police had to be called. And, and now apparently there's a, a permanent, at this particular store, a permanent uh, police, uh, uh, you know, presence uh, to help, to help uh, you know, mitigate and, and, and avoid those kinds of situations. But this is the kind of stuff that, that we're hearing and seeing that, that sometimes we can do. So again, your message, your message about a better way right. is just extremely essential right now. 
Well, it, it it's, you know, obviously needed right now. And, um, you know, the, it's kind of like the herd mentality. When one person acts in a very negative way, it's easy for the people around that person to act in the same way. But all it takes is for one person to stand up and say, this is not like, stop this. This is cruel and, you know, you need to stop. Um, there's um, something they call, and I've talked about this a lot, the bystander effect. You know, the number one intervention to stop the cycle of bullying is for the witness to speak up, not the target. It's for the witness to speak up and say, time out here, the way you're treating this person, you know, um, is cruel, inappropriate, unprofessional. Now, in a situation like there's a, you know, gang of people attacking somebody, one person can still intervene. I bet that there were people standing around witnessing that who were appalled by it, but never spoke up. We need to do better, whether, you know, so are you going to change, like, what can we do to take that person who initiated that and to say, why don't we come over here and have a conversation about this first and to, you know, try to convince them that they were wrong and thinking that way. You know this, there are people that are so, they're convinced that they're right and how they think and what they believe. And it could be the complete opposite of what you think and what you believe. And it's not about convincing someone. Um, it's about protecting the person who's being victimized or targeted. I think more than trying to convince them that they're wrong. Um, I have uh, somebody on my team. Her name is Diane Salter. She's a, a director of surgical services at a hospital right now that is dealing with COVID-19. It's in, um, yeah, central Pennsylvania. Um, and she uh, she's on my team. She speaks for me. She is an incredible human being, a wonderful leader. And she shared this with me. Gosh, I guess it was about eight or nine months ago, that she had um, two people on her team who were just kind of not getting along. And um, the, the one person came into her office and said, see, I went in there and I tried talking to her. And, you know, she, she, you know, started arguing with me and she got all defensive. And Diane said to him, when you walked into that room, was your intent to win an argument or build a relationship? And I thought, wow, is that powerful? It was your intent to win an argument. So just think about anybody, you know, who you interact with and maybe you have a disagreement with and you decide you're going to have a conversation with. This could be somebody you work with. This could be somebody in your family, okay? When you initiate that conversation, what's your intent? Is it to win, to show them that you're right and you're wrong and they're wrong? Or is it to further understand them and build a better relationship. And yeah, we, we need to build better relationships with people, especially now. Yeah, so being in the midst of this COVID crisis, uh, as we speak, sometimes we think that we have to uh, kind of enter into the darkness and focus almost on the darkness as we're doing, sharing some of these negative examples to bring about the light. And we know that most of your work focuses on helping people see the light through acts of kindness and caring. Um, one of the questions that we've been asking a lot of people on our calls recently, our Zoom meetings, is where are you seeing the light right now? What are, what are some examples of where you're seeing the light? Oh, I actually just got goosebumps when you asked me that question because 
it's easy for us to get sucked into the vortex of the negativity because that's what sells on, on TV. That's what's all over social media. But I don't know if you've noticed this. We're starting to see this sort of turn. I'm actually seeing more positive things being posted than the negative. So Diane actually just sent to us, we're going to actually put it in one of our posts for the 30 days of, you know, we call it 30 days of KCC, kindness, coping, and caring. Um, one of her, um, I think she was a surgical nurse in the OR. She was retiring and they couldn't have a party for her. So she was at home and they had this parade of cars that were all decked out, you know, with all these signs and balloons and everything. And they drove past her house, beeped and hollered, you know, we love you. Congratulations. It was so heartwarming, you know, that she was recognized in such a big way at her retirement and it was a different way so there are things like that there was somebody who i have a, a whole uh be kind initiative we have these buttons that say be kind we have this be kind package where you can um you know 50 ways to to spread kindness and there was a um i met her at a conference and she picked up a package of my buttons and she shared this with me where when she would see somebody at work that was having a rough day, she would give them that button. And she said, you cannot believe what that one little button did just to put a smile on someone's face. And she sent me a picture of her and all of her equipment, like her, her, you know, protective gear. And she had her name badge on with that be kind. And we're seeing this over and over again, the people who are going out of their way, even the companies who were sending coffee, uh, as a company, we sent bagels and coffee to our consulting clients. Um, and you cannot believe the amount of gratitude and appreciation that we got from people. I actually shared uh, Gerald Bryant is um, the chief nursing officer at Lake Charles uh, Memorial Health in uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana. And, you know, that whole area is getting hit pretty hard. And he posted all these, like, I don't know, pictures of appreciation. It just... There's kindness out there and there's hope out there. And we just need to spend more time spreading that and protecting ourselves um, from all of the negativity because it, it'll influence you and you become more stressed and anxious if that's all you do is listen to the negative news. And we often say that while we may not have control over another person, we do have control over ourselves. And so we can make one decision after another decision to choose to be kind when the world around us may not be. Yeah. And that's how we rise above our situations. Yeah. Kindness is a choice. Yeah. We've read a study that was put out by Harvard medical school about kindness and how this group of people uh, for seven days in a row practiced acts of kindness and how much it affected them and boosted their levels of happiness. And, and so we know that your work is, is having ripple effects. We're a part of this online community right now. It's called weaving community, hashtag mm. weaving community. And anybody can post where it's a uh, nationwide, but it's becoming worldwide in the midst of this crisis where people are using that hashtag posting stories about of kindness right. that are happening. I love and it. It's just remarkable seeing how people are coming together and 
yeah, it's, it's all about hope. It's hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness around us. Um, we are influenced by everything that we surround ourselves with. And I say this a lot in some of the keynote presentations that I do, like we're, they say we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with, you know, average type of house, income level and average waistline. And I laugh and I say, oh, some of us might be thinking, oh, we ought to get some new friends. Okay. <laughs> but Especially right now when we're all locked up in our houses. Yes, exactly. But, you know, it's because of something in our brains called mirror neurons. That's always mimicking what we see. And when you get into your car and you're on your way to work, let's say you're a healthcare, maybe you're a respiratory therapist, okay? And you know, you work in the ICU where you have, you know, 20 COVID patients. You get into the car and what do you do? You turn on the news and you listen to all the badness. How many people have filed now for unemployment in this country? And you get the predictions that, oh, it's not gonna, end until, you know, May, and then it's July, and then it's a year and a half from now. And then you go into work and you're dealing with all of that. And then you get in your car on your way home and you turn the news back on. And then you go home to your family. I, I, I'm telling you, it's not to put your head in the sand. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I am saying that you need to stand guard on your, your mental energy. And instead, like on your way into work, listen to music or something that inspires you. You know, I, I think we all have those pieces of music or those songs that as soon as we hear them, we feel good. You know, some of us, you know, we hear them, we want to dance. Some of them, you know, they bring tears to our eyes. But in general, they make us feel good. Listen to that on your way into work. Listen to that on your way home so that you can ground yourself. So when you come into work, you have the courage and the strength to do what you need to do to care for those patients. And on your way home, you have the courage and strength to then care for your family. But it's really trying to protect yourself from all of that negativity. You need to stay informed. And I'll just tell you what my strategy is every day at four o'clock. I go onto the CDC website and I look at the numbers and I read any of the new reports. I may check out CNN maybe once um, every two days to see what's out there. I spend most of my time listening to the stories of hope. You know, there's some flattening now in Washington, also in, in New York City that they're hoping continues. So I'm looking in, and actually my neighbor said this a couple of weeks ago. He's like, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not expecting there to be some announcement that, oh, guess what? We found a cure. There's a vaccine. There's no more COVID-19. Everybody go back to work. He's like, I'm not delusional. I'm not even, that's unrealistic. He says, but uh, what I am looking for is less negative news. That's what I want, less negative news. We'd like to take just a moment to thank our premier sponsor for the Someone to Tell It To podcast, the Wonders Found Thrift Shop in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We are so grateful for their support, for their advocacy, for these messages that we share with you today and every day. So thank you. We also want to encourage you, if you are interested in helping to support these podcasts, you can do that yourself, too, by going to patreon.com and signing up and saying what you would like to do on a regular basis to help someone to tell it to continue these podcasts, to help them grow, and to reach more and more people around the world.
putting the news aside, CDC aside, things like that. You know, what do you do personally to help yourself maintain that balance, create that balance, and find hope? You know, what what is the kind of music that you like, or what 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 do you do? You go outside? Or do you like to walk? Do you you know what kinds of things? Other things also help you. Um, well, it's um, kind of funny. My life for the last almost 10 years has been just um, a revolving door of travel, sleeping in hotel rooms, not feeling like I can, that I have any time in my home to do the things that I want to do at home, to spend time with my neighbors, to even, you know, do just some entertainment things or something like play Scrabble or build a puzzle. And now I've been given this forced, quote unquote, gift of time. This is the longest. I've been home for a month. I have not traveled. Um, I think it's been four weeks now. This is the longest I've gone without traveling for 10 years. It's kind of weird. Okay. I'm not used to this. <laughs> but let me tell you, it's it's truly been uh, somewhat of a gift for me. And so what my husband, so, uh, you know, my husband is here with me, which is a gift. Uh, we actually, um, obviously, I love him. Well, maybe that's not obvious. I love this man. <laughs> I know. I have, I have to be careful how I say that. Like, that's not obvious. Um, we love each other, but we also <laughs> like each other. Like, I like him. Like, he's my best friend. And um, he actually retired from law enforcement a few years ago to help me with the business. And now him and I run this business together. Um, we have a whole team of people and he's, um, he's amazing. But every morning when, you know, we have a routine. So I, I establish habits. These are, you know, sort of my morning routine, my evening routine. But at 730, I get up at five every morning and I do I have certain things that I work on. If I'm going to write something, I have to write it in the morning. Like if I have an article that I'm writing, if I, I'm right now working on revising a, a book that I wrote called From Exhausted to Extraordinary Strategies to Reverse Nurse Fatigue, I'm revising that. Like I have to do that first thing in the morning. Then we take about a three mile walk in the morning, come back, get ready. We work all day and then every evening at seven o'clock, we take a walk with our neighbors and that's, you know, we maintain our social distancing, but we just walk around the neighborhood. But then there's other things um, that that we do. Um, I have a, a calls with my family. We have a granddaughter who we've committed to seeing every single month since she was born 20 months ago and she lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, I'm not thinking I'm going to see her in April because last time we saw her was the beginning of March. So we hop on a Zoom call with Olivia and it's so cute. Now when my daughter opens up her computer, Olivia says, Nana, 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 like she expects me to be in the computer because we're talking so much on Zoom. Um, I read every single day and I make sure that I connect with somebody in my family. And my husband and I also eat super healthy. So right now it's I know there's a lot of people out there right now that are doing, and I heard this, this isn't what I say, but they're either resorting to drinking, drugs, or donuts, okay? So, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> or, you know, they're binge watching Netflix. Now, we will watch a show at night, like at eight o'clock, we kind of stop everything and we'll watch something on TV, but we're using this opportunity to, to serve 
our clients to connect with our family, with our neighbors, and just, and I just got done building a puzzle. Like, I love building puzzles. So I'm doing things too that uh, I don't normally give myself the opportunity to do. That's just a few of the things that I do pretty much every day. Good for you. So, um, what gives you hope in the midst of this crisis? Or, or, we'll start with that. What's giving you hope today that uh, we can get through this and we can get through it without being uncivil? Um, I've seen um, remarkable um, examples of people who are, are truly stepping up and with courage and strength. Um, I have a colleague of mine who has, uh, she's been a nurse in the military. Um, she's been involved in disaster preparedness. And she said to me, I've trained for this my entire life. This is what we do. You know, this is what we were, this is what I was born to do. And I'm not the only one. And they are, it's just like I always say, you know, firefighters are heroes because when everybody else is running out of the burning building, they're running in. And even though they're, we're talking about some healthcare employees who are behaving badly, the majority of them are saying, bring it on. Okay, we got this. Like my niece is a newer nurse. She's only been a nurse for a few years. She lives in San Diego and she works in the ICU. She's got COVID patients every day. And she's just like, you know what? That's my job. That's what, I mean, I am here to take care of them and to help them recover. And she just looks at it as a, this is what I was meant to do. And so I'm hearing so many people who share their stories of courage and that does give me hope. And something else that gives me hope, I have to believe and trust um, and know that the brilliant scientists all over the world are working around the clock to find a cure, to you know, create a vaccine, a treatment. And I, I do 100% believe that it's only a matter of time and that they're, they're going to be able to do that. I don't know when that'll happen, but it'll happen. And so, and the other thing that gives me hope are the stories of people. I mean, there's some really funny things on social media. Don't get me wrong. It kind of cracks me up. Um, but also stories of people eating dinner together every day as a family, playing games as a family, really connecting with their children and really connecting to what, what matters most, you know, you know, this, our society has gotten so materialistic and so disconnected, even though we have more ways to connect with people. Um, what gives me hope are the stories of people truly getting back to what really matters. And I, I pray that it continues even when this crisis is over. You know, in one of your blogs, you had referenced Angela Duckworth and her Ted talk about grit. Yeah. I love that. The power of passion and perseverance. Yep. And we loved her illustration that she used about bricklayers. Yes. And, and for those of you who are listening, there's three bricklayers are asked, what are you doing? The first says, I'm laying bricks. The second says, I'm building a church. The third says, I'm building a house of God. Yep. And you had said in your blog, the first has a job, the second has a career, and the third has a calling. Yeah. And so I think what you're describing, these nurses and these medical care workers they have a calling to do this. I mean, 
it has to be a calling. It has to be something that's more than what they're seeing uh, because it has to be, it'd be something that's like internal. And uh, you talked about in your blog about just perseverance and, and just kind of pressing through. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't think anybody, well, let's just say people who choose to become a nurse or work in healthcare um, don't last if they don't understand that it is a calling and not a job. Because I try to remind people that we are inconvenienced every single day we go into work. The, this is the only career that I know of that you're always putting somebody else first and it's your patients. And, you know, I tell the story sometimes I, I continue to practice as a bedside nurse until just maybe about two years ago. I, you know, it was important for me that I was credible out there that I could say, Oh no, you know, I can describe, you know, a patient situation and I can say, yeah, that was my situation last month, you know, to really have that credibility that I wasn't just one of these academic people who had no idea what it was like on the front line. Cause I do know what it's like. And I remember I, I was a really busy morning and I had just sat down to do some charting and the charge nurse called me out to the desk. She's like, I'm sorry, Renee, but I have to give you another admission. And I said, Tracy, that's what I'm here for is to get admissions. Okay. But my inside voice said, crap, <laughs> I have to get an admission. Like I just got three admissions. Oh my God, I'm tired. I just want to take a break. It's never about you. When you work in healthcare, it is never about you. It is always about serving the patient and their family. And the only way you can do that is by having grit, as Angela Duckworthy, you know, talks about so well. Not only grit to show up day after day and deal with the unpredictability of healthcare, you never know what you're going to get when you walk in the door, but also just to get through even schooling and you know, continuing education and rapid changing technology and medical treatments and technology, you know, this technology that we have with these electronic records, you've got to have a sense of perseverance and you have to be hardy and have uh, this uh, characteristic of resilience that no matter what happens, you're going to get back up tomorrow and do it again. Even if it's like there are days I would come home and I'd be twitching on the couch for the next four hours <laughs> because it was, oh, it's like, oh my God, it was horrible. But then, yeah, you go to sleep, you get back up and you do it again. That's what we do. I think that, I think that what you're saying is so universal that it's, uh, you know, it extends to any, anything that we do, that if we look at it as a calling and it's not about yeah. just us, but it's about serving in whatever form we're serving that, uh, yeah. Well, wouldn't wouldn't the world be so much better? Well, and you know, and not everybody understands that. So I can remember when I was a newer nurse. I'd probably only been practicing for about two or three years, and I was um, married um, before. This is my second marriage. Um, so my first husband, I worked a steady three to eleven. So I worked a three to eleven shift, and I remember it was a like quarter after eleven at night. And I was giving report to the uh, night um, nurse who was taking my assignment. And I could hear my patient because he was right across the nurse's station. He started coughing. 
and he I don't know there was just something in how he was coughing that made me pause and I stood up and as I did I started walking over to his room and he turned his light on and when I saw him I knew he was in trouble he was coughing up blood and then what ended up happening without getting too gory is um, he, it looked like he vomited blood everywhere. He had an aneurysm in his thoracic artery that ruptured. And what he was, you know, coughing up was arterial blood. Um, he died. And I was there until two o'clock in the morning. We tried to save him. We did everything that we could. I was covered in blood. It, it was horrible. And you know what? I sobbed on my way home because we couldn't save him. And I had cared for him for like four days and I got to know him and his family. And I just the grief that you feel and the guilt that, you know, you couldn't save this person. And, you know, my ex-husband was mad at me because I was late. I was late coming home. And some people just don't understand it. Like it's not a, oh, wait a minute. My patient is not doing really well right now, but it's the end of my shift and I, you know, check out. You, you don't do that when you're in healthcare. You have to show up every day and serve no matter how long it takes, no matter if it's your shift or not your shift or your patient or not your patient. You know, it's, it's just a different, it's a, yeah, it's got to be a calling or else you're not going to survive. It was horrible. I, I will never forget that. I, I could still see him to this day. It, you know, these these patients, some of them just, you know, it's like, you know, they etch a little piece of themselves into your heart and your brain forever, forever. Sounds like you found your calling. Yeah. And you know what? It, it is interesting. I actually had a few moments when this crisis was happening that I really had to, um, I had to find a way to cope with my feelings, and my husband really helped me with this, um, my feelings of guilt that here I am a nurse, and I'm not out there on the front lines fighting the battle with my colleagues, that I'm comfortable and safe in my own home. And so I think that's another reason why we really took a step back as a company and decided to put all of our efforts uh, uh, related to bullying and incivility and all the things that we were doing related to that. Like I, I have a, a video ready to go. It's been ready for three weeks. It's uh, one of my coffee and conversations videos that I have. It comes out twice a month. It's on YouTube, you know, I have a YouTube channel. And it was on, what do you do if the boss is your bully? I'm like, I cannot put that out there right now. Oh no, <laughs> like we cannot do this. I cannot write articles about bullying right now. I need to serve my colleagues because I'm not next to them on the front line, caring for patients with them. So what else can I do to really do my part as a nurse, as a healthcare professional? And that's why we kind of shifted everything. And that's how that 30 days of, you know, kindness, coping, and caring came about. Good for you. Well, through our work, we spend a significant amount of time in healthcare as well. Um, and we spend a lot of time listening to doctors and nurses and palliative care workers and chaplains and, and other social workers who are on the brink of burnout. And so even yeah. right now, amidst this crisis, we're trying our best to make ourselves available and our teams available to listen and to, to show that we care and that they're not alone in, in this fight. Um, you know, we loved your message 
messages recently that kindness has not been canceled. Positivity has not been canceled. Hope has not been canceled. Right. And so like, even though schools are closed and offices are closed, malls are empty, events are called off, you know, during this crisis, we get so hyper-focused that we forget um, to show how much, how, show each other how much we care. And so I think your messages are, are, are more valuable now and necessary now than maybe ever before. Well, thank you. And I think what you're doing is so incredibly, I would say in general, undervalued, but more powerful and needed than most people think. And that is being able to share your story and have somebody listen to you. You know, everybody wants to be heard and understood. And I think we, and I've been told that I, I think maybe one of the reasons that I do well on the stage is because I tell stories and I tell my personal stories. I don't try to pretend that, you know, I've got it all figured out, you know, and I, I talk about my struggles and how I overcome them and how I'm still working on some of them. And I think that's what people really need. They need to be able to share their story or hear somebody else's story because then they say, okay, by listening to this story, I can relate to it so much that it's going to give me the inspiration or the hope to, you know, if, if there's something that I'm struggling with. And I, I think you do a really great job with that. Um, I love how you're, it's like you're the collector of stories and, um, I follow um, a, a lot of people like um, Donald Miller. He's the story brand guy and he's talking, he always talks about you know, messages and he says, everybody wants to know the story. Like, what's your story? And it's your story that influences and motivates and inspires other people. It's not your sales pitch. It's not what you do. It's your story. We, we like that term collectors of stories. That's pretty, yeah, that's you are. We're gonna have to. Uh, we're gonna have to rebrand that ourselves here. Uh, say, <laughs> you can use that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we, we. You know, we just have so many stories of, of. We we do have some contracts with various hospitals, and we've, you know, some of our favorite stories. Like I remember one time we were down uh, listening to a whole floor of. Uh, nurses who who primarily dealt with children, and there was a, a loss, an unexpected loss on their floor, and they, the management just had us sit over the lunch hour with an entire floor, and they all came in and were able to process this loss that was unexpected on their floor, you know, lots of tears and lots of openness and vulnerability, and and it just we know it meant such a difference. I mean, we've we've all been in places of grief and and know how meaningful it is to be able to, to, uh, to share those stories. And yeah, I think you're right. We are collecting a lot of stories as we, as we go, as our work grows. So. And I think too, is, is giving people that space that they, and, and a safe place for them to be vulnerable, to talk about their grief, especially in healthcare. I, I don't want to go down this, this negative path, of course, but I remember when I was a new nurse, the, um, I had two um, uh, things that happened that I needed somebody to listen to me and, and help me to share and, and be supportive, and they did not. So one was uh, I worked on a step-down unit, and it was the very first patient who actually coded on me, and we had to transfer her down to the intensive care unit. I was so overcome that I could not give report to the ICU nurse. 
because I kept thinking that I failed this patient because why didn't I see she was deteriorating, okay, to the point where she, I, we had to transfer her to the ICU. And there were um, two other nurses on my unit who made fun of me and mocked me because I was crying. And the same two nurses, when I had my first patient who died, and I cried. I cried with the family. They made fun of me. And I thought, so I don't know, you know how you say the way you were treated, you know, some people treat other people that way, or some people do the opposite. Anytime, as I got older, anytime I was working and there was a new nurse or anybody who was dealing with some situation with their patient and they were in tears, I would always pull them aside and, and give them a hug and say, let's talk about this. You're, and I would say to them, you're a good nurse. Okay, it's okay to cry. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad, you know, and yeah, it's just, um, I, I think being there when they had that unexpected negative outcome and letting them talk is so important, especially to decrease some of the stress and fatigue and, and compassion, you know, especially compassion fatigue that we feel in healthcare. We work outside of the system. And so like, we, th there are a lot of CEOs that have seen value in our work because we are outside the system. So, you know, I know my yep. wife, she's an RN at Harrisburg Hospital, and they've talked about having a floor where doctors and nurses can go and process some of their feelings. But I know there's almost a stigma around these doctors and nurses going up to that floor to talk about their problems. And so they've seen value in us being outside the system that we're not affecting people's job performance or, or anything like that. So... Sure. It sounds as if those those early bad experiences have um, embedded themselves in into you and have motivated you. Oh yeah. To do what you're doing to do what you're doing today, and we always celebrate not the bad experiences, mm -hmm. but when someone can take bad experiences and redeem them and allow them to help change and help inspire other people. And, and it sounds to us that that's, that's what you're doing. Hmm. And, and you're using, you're using those negative things that have happened to you to help other people through the negative things that happened to them. Yeah. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I had so many bad experiences. I almost quit nursing two weeks after I started because of a bullying situation with um, somebody at work. And if it weren't for my boss calling me saying, you're a good nurse, come back. Cause there was a, something bad happened and my preceptor blamed me, but it wasn't my fault, but she made me think that it was. And, uh. um, but yeah, I think over the years, especially when I was new, it really um, probably gave me the, the passion for this um, and the motivation to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else. And, you know, I think I really gave this some thought. Why did I choose bullying and incivility as my sort of I put my stake in the ground? Enough is enough. And I, it, I think it, it was those experiences. And it also comes from. Um, what, what I value most in this world. So if you, I've done some values work and, um, one of my core values is kindness. And so bullying and incivility, cruelty goes against who I am as a human being. So it, you know, in retrospect, it only made sense. The experiences that I had 
coupled with you know uh, something that's a core value of mine it just like the stars are in alignment and then I was fortunate to um, have some really good speaking on the stage skills. <laughs> so, and I'm not afraid of public speaking. So it started with me speaking. And then from there, it's really morphed into consulting. And, you know, now I have an institute and, you know, we've got an online academy. And so it's really just grown from there. But it all started with being treated with cruelty and um, it going against who I am as a human. We, again, just really appreciate the work that you're doing. Uh, like us, we are trying to instill mes messages of positivity and hope amidst amidst such sorrow and, and despair for, for so many folks. And we, we recognize their, their level of pain today. And uh, certainly we're here for them, as you are too. But um, you know, I'm remembering Aesop, the ancient Greek storyteller, said something like, no, no act of kindness, no matter how small, is ever wasted. And we think that kindness kind of begets more kindness, just as bullying, uh, a bullying boss can foster a culture of more bullying. So can a boss be instilling these messages of positivity and kindness. And so, you know, as we as we close this out today, is there a message that you would like to convey to to leaders and to nurses today, especially amidst this crisis? Yes. Um, uh, two messages. Um, one is that every single day before you go into work, knowing that you really don't know what you're going to face, just have an intention that no matter what happens, you're going to become that day. Don't worry about the next day or the day after. Today, you're going to be the very best version of yourself the very best that you can be in that, in the circumstances that you face. Okay. So it's be, and it's funny, every morning I write down three things I'm grateful for and then three intentions that I have. And I can't tell you how many times I write, be the best version of myself today. The second thing is that, um, find an opportunity every single day to connect with someone and let them know that you care about them. And there's even like, I do this with leaders. And then I say, do this with your coworkers, just look them in the eye and just say, how are you today? Are you okay? Is your family okay? You know, I really care about you. Is there anything I can do to help you? It's the relationships that we have with people that are more important than anything. And it's having somebody know that you care about them that you're there for them is so powerful because you never know when somebody really might need to hear that. So that would be the two things that I would offer. Those are beautiful words, beautiful. And we wanna thank you today for taking the time to be with us. We know you're very busy. There are a lot of people seeking your wisdom and, 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 <laughs> and your <true>. insights and, <laughs> and, and your inspiration. And, and we're just so grateful that you um, agreed to when we sought you, that you were you agreed to uh, to share today, so thank you, Renee Thompson. We uh, appreciate appreciate what you um, do. We appreciate how you've redeemed, you know, some of the negative experiences you've had throughout your life, and we appreciate especially today, uh, in this very fraught time, filled with fear and anxiety and uncertainty, that you're helping to remind us all of what matters and what's what's important and what can make a difference and what can see us through to days that will be that will be better. 
and filled with hope. So thank you. Oh, gosh, you're welcome. I am so happy to help. And even if one person hears this and it helps them to show up differently, you know, that day or the next day, um, that's that's what we're all here to serve each other, because in the big scheme of life, that's what's most important is, you know, how we treat each other as human beings. So to have the opportunity to, to share what I'm doing um, with you, because, again, I think you're doing amazing things with this, you know, the collection of stories. Um, yeah, it's, it's we need more people like us who are out there mm -hmm. inspiring people to become you know better than than who they think they can be. So thank you. Thank you. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this interview, this conversation really with uh, Renee Thompson today. We really did find her to be delightful. She just engaging and, and so passionate about what she does and what a, we believe, a perfect guest for this time in the midst of this, this COVID-19 pandemic and crisis, all the fear and anxiety, angst, um, concern and, and worry and uncertainty about, about what's happening, what's going on, what tomorrow will bring, what next week, what next month will bring. To have someone who's reminding us, uh, that, yeah, this is tough and this is difficult and this is real, but also saying there's hope and there's a way that we can get through it together. And it is by treating one another with kindness. So we hope you've learned something. We hope it's she's inspired you. We hope that, that it helps to inform you as we take this day by day together. And in the interview, I had referenced an article from the Harvard Medical School published by an author named Melissa Broderick, and it's called The Heart and Science of Kindness. And I thought this would be a nice way for us to end today. Uh, as Renee talked about at the very end, that kindness is one of the few things in life that truly lasts. And in the article, this author says, when I was terribly insecure and shy misfit of a college freshman, I was going through the cafeteria line by myself one fall day. When I got to the checkout, the woman at the cash register said, you have such a pretty face. Now, over 40, 40 years later, I still remember that unexpected moment of kindness from a stranger. So we want to leave you with these questions today. Who do you remember most and how do you want to be remembered? So until we listen again.